What's going on? Kevin Cole here. Sorry, slightly late. Jumping on the mic there. Had to uh, re repost, not retweet. Reposting. Uh, so let's get it right here. Uh, let's get the nomenclature right. Uh, reposting my notification that I'm jumping on YouTube. For those of you who are not on the YouTube, you know, let's get up on it. Um, YouTube channel for unexpected points. You can drop questions in the comments, all that sort of stuff on there. If you want me to address anything in particular during the show, uh, you get notifications, all that sort of good stuff there. Speaking of reposting, um, I hit because it's the NFL season. I hit whatever whatever sort of threshold is necessary for uh, Elon Musk to cut checks to us in the Twitter blue contingent uh, threshold for impressions. Um, Cause you know, I don't tweet that much during the off season. I'm not, I'm not threading. I refuse to thread and to do uh, you know, farming for impression farming out there on the Twitter streets or oh, sorry, X streets. I got to start. I, I got to start naming correctly because I'm officially, you know, an employee now of, <laughs> Of, of X now that I hit whatever threshold it was. They cut me a cool $53 check uh, recently, even though I just signed up. Now, maybe that's a back payment in there too. So, I mean, hey, if I can even get my uh, my Twitter blue fees paid for via Elon, I'll, I'll take it. Um, but I don't think you're not going to see, like, I know the incentive here is that I'll be, I'll be on Twitter. I'm oh, sorry, X. God, sorry, Elon. I keep on messing up here. Don't, don't, don't suspend my account and stop my checks coming in here that I'll just be on there uh, trying to impression farm, but a bit more now that uh, uh, that, that sweet X money is coming in, but no, not going to happen uh, too bored. And I just like putting things in this podcast and on the site in the advanced reviews much, much more because, Hey, it's you explain it a bit better, you know, keep it to the privileged few. I like to say, all right, enough. Um, nonsense at the beginning of this thing give a little time for some people maybe to jump on here and let's get into the game reviews so we're gonna start with sunday night then i'll just kind of go a little bit more in chronological order london early window late window take any questions anyone may have in the comments if you want to drop anything in there if you have questions about a particular game i'll try to view those comments from time to time i don't like to have it you know constantly be viewing it or then it kind of interrupts my flow here as this is a solo production, which doesn't really allow me to, you know, spend any time looking at other stuff while I'm doing this and still keep, keep the numbers coming. Um, okay. So as part of this review, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm going to throw up my, uh, I guess throw up maybe <laughs> is that the right word. I'm going to, I'm going to toss up here my uh advanced reviews on the screen so you can see them even if it's eh, you know maybe it's not maybe i need to make it even bigger uh i guess it's as big as it gets that for if you to see the different numbers this advanced review for sunday night football i made free to the public so all the information is there it gives you a little taste of what's available for all the different games uh, i also had a little strategic strategery here strategic partnership with um betting life which is part of fantasy life part of the matthew berry empire that he is building outside of now that he's no longer an espn dude um matthew freeman's my my guy works over there 
Uh, he's going to be posting some of the unexpected unexpected points content, really some advanced reviews, just tossing a couple of those onto the site that people can check out. And then, well, we'll see. We'll see if it ends up flowing through as far as anyone coming from the newsletter and actually signing up for my stuff. All right. But for now, free here, advanced review Sunday Night Football. Let's start here with Bill's Giants. Uh, sloppy game. Ugly game, right? It was, I guess it was what, 6-0 at half. And of course, we'll we'll break down what happened at the end of the half, all that sort of stuff. Ended up being fourteen to nine. Now, the way to think about this, and I have it, the Bills still being the better team here by about four points versus the five point actual point differential. That may seem weird when we're like game watching and we're in, we have our game watching caps on, and we say, "Well, the you know Giants had the ball on the one yard line twice and got zero points, therefore." We take whatever the final score is and we mix in some other stuff and then boom, we get what, what we want there. Well, this isn't quite how it works according to my adjusted scores. My adjusted scores give more credit to teams for success rate, having a higher success rate. And the Bills' success rate in this game was about 5% better than the Giants. They were 47.6 versus 42.9. So there's that there. They were more successful on a play-by-play basis. They were also like trying to actually do something a bit more as far as down the field is concerned. I look at expected EPA based upon target locations and what you expect the like completion rate to be for these different targeted locations. So it gives teams more credits for at least trying to do something. And I'll just quickly throw on the screen here the um, target distribution for Tyrod Taylor in this one, it's just a bunch of underneath stuff. So they generated some EPA. They were successful doing this here, but they weren't really taking any shots. I mean, they had one total chuck it up ball here that was 47 yards downfield. They had another that's 35 and maybe 25 that are on the sideline. Another that was 20 plus on the other sideline. But again, you know, sideline throws have low catch rates. Generally, it's a low risk lower reward sort of situation when you throw to the sideline less likely to get intercepted but you're less likely to complete it other than that they had one pass that was about 11 yards downfield and everything else is like this five yards downfield just spamming barely anything going down further than that so a decent you know completion rate an okay success rate for taylor throwing the ball but just a lot of Darren Waller and Wandale Robinson underneath where there's just low upside in that sort of offense. So again, I give the Bills more credit saying if we if we look if we look at the fundamentals of how these two teams played, not only did the Bills have like a lot worse turnover luck in this one, luck is one thing. I mean, interception and a fumble, a fumble after reception is kind of bad luck. It just doesn't happen that often. Not only were they worse in that category by about 8.5 expected points. So that, that makes a huge difference, but they were like giving their offense, their offense at least had a chance to do something more. If they could have completed a few more passes, whereas the giants just weren't really even running an offense that had a chance to do that much in this game. So that's part of it, but it is true that the giants, technically made it into the red zone five different times. And then they ended with nine points. So that's pretty bad. But I'd also say that the bills should have scored a bunch more points. I mean, the adjusted score generally I have is 22, 18. So what is that an additional eight points for the bills and an additional nine points for the Giants? So it just grosses up everything there. Both teams should have scored more, but the bills kind of fundamentally still had uh, the better offense. Let's talk about the two plays from the one yard line. 
So Dable had the demonstrative reaction on the sideline after the first one where Taylor clearly checked into a run play. So this is 14 seconds left. Um, it was the biggest, the biggest loss in expected points in this one because not only do you have a chance to kick the field goal if you would have thrown a pass, but you probably have another pass attempt also. So you're probably getting like two tries if you pass the ball plus a field goal, maybe even three tries plus a field goal attempt. I don't know. That, that could be tough, but you are you are right there on the one-yard line. So it's possible you get two, three tries at the end zone plus a field goal attempt. So that explains why on first and one with 14, with one, you know, first and goal from the one with 14 seconds left, the expected points is 5.2. It's pretty high. Um, so getting a, a blank zero on that one is really, really damaging. So Taylor definitely checked into the running play by touching his helmet. The question now is, did Dable tell him like immediately before that play, hey, I know there's a run check on this, but we're passing the ball here. Dable did have some post-game comments on this, and it kind of depends on how you want to interpret those post-game comments because he said that he, this is, this is not a direct quote, but this is from Jordan Renan, uh, who's the Giants beat reporter, what he typed out at least based upon the press conference. His tweet says, or his, I'm oh, sorry, his post, sorry, Elon, says Brian Dable said Tyrod Taylor alerted to a run on the final play of the first half. We all knew that. Said he communicated to his quarterback to pass in that situation. Now, communicated to his quarterback. Eh, I, I would want a little bit more details. Like, was it immediately before the play? If it was immediately before the play, I have no problem with Dable kind of throwing Taylor under the bus here, as people are saying. I don't even think it is a bus under throwing necessarily because, like, if he told him, hey, don't chug into a run play, and then five seconds later he checks into a run play, toss away. Um, now, if he told him at the beginning of the drive, although even telling someone at the beginning of the drive, like, how do you know you're going to get that specific situation? If he, is he's just like, oh, we have conversations normally where Taylor knows not to do it in those situations. Well, that gets a little bit more questionable. And I think Dable's got to take more of the blame on this one and not put the blame squarely on Taylor like he is in this one. Either way, they come away with zero points, 5.2 expected points lost, 12.4 win probability, percent win probability lost on that play. Uh, and then we get to the end of the game. The other one at the end of the game, the estimation by the NFL faster crew over there, the NFL universe crew for their model, uh, the win probability model was a about a 52% win probability going into the play that sounds about right i mean if we think about it a two-point conversion is normally somewhere in the mid 40s depending upon the offense so we get a yard closer we don't have the greatest offense with taylor all this sort of stuff i think 52 percent sounds pretty close maybe a little bit higher on that one and of course they don't convert so they go from 52 percent win probability to zero after that play a uh, clear hold on the play or pass interference, depending upon, I mean, the holds kind of initiated before the pass was even thrown. And then there was pass interference afterwards. So either call could have been appropriate on there. I will say, and this might be too galaxy braining this sort of situation, but you think about it from a game theory perspective. Um, it's first and goal at the one. If you commit a penalty, and you're on the defense, a pass interference or a hold, whatever. Worst case scenario is you run it, you run it back. 
first and goal from the one, one play to go. Zero seconds on the clock. Worst case scenario, right? So if I were a defensive coordinator in that situation, I would say, unless you're certain that it's going to be an incomplete pass at the catch point, and you're right there, or you can knock it down, you're 100% certain, don't pass interfere, but you might want to just like hold on every play, <laughs> just initially. And it's just hope that one time they don't call it, right? Just hope they don't call it one time. Uh, sure, you're going to have some bad situations where there would have been an incomplete pass or it would have been a sack or something would have happened if you didn't hold and maybe get the call there and blah, blah, blah. But still, like you're in this situation where you could do it on every play. That kind of opens up. If that's the like the game theory optimal strategy on defense, then on offense, you might want to say to yourself, well, you know what? Maybe the the game theory optimal play here is just to run the ball. You got one play either way. Um, the ability for the defense just to commit another foul on the run play is pretty hard. I mean, they can do defensive holding and like just grab an offensive lineman and pull them out of the way. So they could do something like that and maybe they should. So maybe that's like another layer to this game theory optimization. But I think generally, you know, maybe the 52% kind of overvalues the Giants chance of scoring here because the defense can just foul. Just foul, foul, foul. And, you know, the Bills are at home. And if you're a referee, even if you're the most unbiased referee possible, like how many times are you going to throw the flag in a row when you just threw a pass interference to get them down to the one-yard line? And that pass interference to get them down to the one-yard was was maybe a little bit more questionable. I think it was pass interference, but it was definitely more questionable than grabbing the jersey and pulling down on the last play. So, you know, it's a tougher spot for the for the Giants in that situation than some might think because the defense is, has this advantage of just being able to foul. Um, there's no, like, running the clock advantage there because we're already at zero seconds that you could also say the defense could try to use with fouling, although that's been corrected somewhat in the rule book. But we still haven't corrected the ability for the defense to just play this, this game out and be like, we're not going to give you an open pass on this last play, no matter what. Um but again, that was the the fourth most impactful play by by expected points. So if you look at the expected points on these two plays combined, the two failures at the end of half, it's 9.3 expected points. So that's a pretty massive number. Now, the thing is, the Bills also had two big negative plays. The Gabe Davis fumble was 4.4 expected points. Uh, interception targeting Dallas, um, it's targeting Dawson Knox at about 2.30 left in the first quarter, was 4.2 expected points. That was a big one because it was on first and 10 also uh, on that one. as a tipped pass that went up and was caught. So that bad luck maybe, you know, counterweights some of the bad luck for, for, for the Giants as far as those end-of-play situations is concerned. Um... Overall, Bill's offensive efficiency was still actually about 50th percentile despite the fact that they couldn't... Um, despite the fact they had those big turnovers in the passing game, they ran the ball pretty well. Zero designed runs for Josh Allen. So that's something interesting. I mean, they're probably, probably trying to keep him healthy. He got a little banged up in this one still. Uh, scrambling, obviously, he's still doing to a, in, <laughs> in his insane sort of way. He got tossed down on the ground on a kind of a, a, a BS, but I think a hard call, a hard call to not make because of the way he, was, he fell down. Um, roughing the passer. You know, I don't know. Who knows? It could be when the situation where he comes out of the game and figures out he has a concussion later. So he did he did get banged up a bit and he's not running as much, which is interesting, especially for the fantasy football heads out there. Um overall, 
positive 0.1 EPA per play for Josh Allen. So, okay. Uh, Taylor was basically flat. Not really exciting numbers for either guy. Not a lot of air yard EPA for either for either guy. Uh, A dot 6.9 yards for Taylor, 8.8 for Allen. So now the Bills get to four and two. They look kind of bad here, but the 49ers also look kind of bad. So at the end of this week, I haven't run the numbers yet, but I have a feeling the Bills might still end up being number one in my power rankings. And, you know, people aren't going to like that, but they'll, they'll like it more so than if they would have lost this game. Um and been three and three. And then I would have had to hear like how I have them number one in my power rankings based upon, based upon that. Um, all right, let's go to now the early window. We'll start in London, Tennessee, the documented home team for this one. Although I think I mentioned that my numbers like Tennessee a little bit as far as betting is concerned. It seemed like everyone on the planet was on the Ravens betting on the Ravens in this game because there were so many complaints about how the fact that the Titans could have covered at the end if they didn't, if they went for the touchdown rather than the field goal, they had first and goal from inside the 10, I think, and didn't end up getting a touchdown out there at the end. Um, Instead, kick the field goal, I think, on third down, which is, you know, it's, it's kind of a wild concept there. I'm not sure if I if that put them in a better position or not. Um, and then, you know, try to get the um, the onside kick afterwards there. So, yeah, I get it. But I also said that I wouldn't necessarily bet on the Titans because I didn't like the um, I didn't like the fact that they didn't come over to London until so late versus the Ravens who had been there for multiple days and really had a, had been able to acclimate themselves a little bit better. But why do my numbers say that the this game was actually a little bit tighter than the eight points? I have it as a four-point differential on this one, which sounds surprising because everyone probably thinks the Ravens crushed them by even more than that. Well, success rates were pretty similar, and it was really just a third down sort of situation. So I'll go back. I know I harp on this constantly to a, a you know nauseating degree, but like – Third downs, converting or not converting, makes such a massive difference. And we also have this perception built in when a team converts third downs and keeps on going and extends drives and gets more plays and more opportunities to accumulate points. Um, we tend to give like a little bit too much credit for being able to convert these third downs or a little bit too much blame for when it doesn't happen. You know, teams are generally within a pretty small delta when it comes to converting third downs or not. There are some teams that are really, really good or really, really bad, but normally it aligns with kind of the overall offensive strength of the teams. And in this particular game, from a success rate standpoint, the overall offenses were pretty equal. It's just Titans one for nine on third down. Okay. That's those are just drive killers, especially when you're a team that likes to run the ball you got to convert those third downs. These were not difficult third downs. They were 0 for 4 on third downs where they have five or fewer yards to go. We're talking about a third and one, a third and two, a third and four. I think it's two third and twos and a third and four. I mean, you're just 0 for on those. Hugely, hugely negative for the Titans on that one. And that's why the Ravens outperformed them by about 10 expected points on these third and fourth down, uh, late down, high leverage situations. Those look to us like, you know, Lamar Jackson making plays, which is part of it. He is good in making plays. He's not extraordinary on third and fourth down, but he's, he, you know, he's good at scrambling, making plays. And the Titans just inability on uh, an extended timeline out to infinity to be able to make these plays. But the reality is, hey, it goes up or down a little bit in this one. 
Uh, also, 2.6 EPA advantage on special teams for the Ravens. Uh, Tucker didn't really have any difficult kicks, but he was 6 of 6 on his field goals. And there was a 70-yard punt return by Devin DuVernay. And there was also a muffed punt that was recovered by the Ravens. So the Ravens got, you know, a lot of different advantages there too. Again, that's all kind of built into our perception when we're watching the end of the game saying, how could this possibly be so close? Well, you know, those are pretty high variance types of plays when it comes to the punt return and the muffed punt that went against the Titans that just won't happen on a weekend and week out basis. Um, if you look at the top plays of the game, I mean, Jackson did have an interception, for 4.5 expected points, that was pretty negative. They did have a big play offensively for the Titans that maybe you could say was pretty fluky, a Derrick Henry 63-yard run. They did have a 48-yard screen play or swing. I don't know if it was a swing or a screen to Tajay Spears, to the running back Tajay Spears, when Malik Willis came into the game that was 48 yards, and it was also in a situation where the win probability was very low, two minutes remaining, down by nine points for the Titans. So I adjust out some of that when the win probability is low, but not a ton of that when the win probability is low. Um, Jackson's numbers were also hurt by a rushing attempt. Uh, third and one from the from the one-yard line took a negative four on that. They had to end up kicking the field goal. That was 2.7 expected points lost, lost on that one. Um Tannehill also took a bunch of sacks. So if you take the combined sack loss, and this is like Willis was, <laughs> was really trying to prove the sacks are a quarterback stat by just coming in there and taking, I think it was three or four sacks it, when he dropped back like 12 times. Um, 9.3 EPA lost on sacks for the Titans. So Tannehill has a tendency to hold the ball too long and take sacks, and especially in that play-action offense. Willis really has a tendency like Willis when he goes back to pass I'm like how is he even going to accomplish anything down the field it looks so bad um so yeah bad 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 there and didn't really give their team a chance to to win that much at all in that regard and Jackson again it's one of those things where I see a lot of praise for Lamar Jackson online I think he yeah that the offense was doing nothing they were very bad running the ball outside of Lamar Jackson and even again Lamar Jackson had that kind of run on the one-yard line that didn't end up doing well. So they did have a 70th percentile drop-back passing game in this one, despite the most negative play of the game being Lamar Jackson interception and another really um, negative play being the, the run play. But overall, 0.018 EPA per play. I mean, it's kind of like good elite-ish sort of number, but not really an MVP sort of number. That's how I would look at it. And again, the mistakes there without enough counterbalancing for the um, for the rushing. Now, he did produce a decent amount of like pass EPA outside of the mistakes. So that's something that hadn't really happened in the past for for these last games. So the offense looked a little bit better there. But I don't know, man. I know people complain about the Ravens running too much near the goal line, but I wanted to see actually more just Lamar Jackson runs. I still think we need more Lamar Jackson running in this game. Um, and I know they don't want to get injured. I know it's a new offensive philosophy. I know all of that sort of stuff, but mm, I don't know. We, we got to do something. Um, uh, my prediction is it's going to be Will Levis time coming out of the bye over the next week. The Titans are taking the bye post London Malik Willis is just not it. I'm sorry. I know he had actually had okay efficiency in this one based upon that screen pass and some 
scrambling around that he's doing. But no, the guy, like, he's in his second year and he still looks as lost as ever when it comes to taking sacks and being able to execute the offense. Levis has, hasn't been active so far this year. He's been the emergency quarterback so far. I know he had some injury stuff in the um, preseason camp, that sort of stuff. Hopefully it's been resolved, and I just think you need to start Levis now. Plus, it gives you a window as, as to what you need to do at quarterback next year. I mean, you didn't invest a ton in them. I know people view quarterback picks very differently from how they view any other picks. And they think if you trade it up to get a guy at the top of the second round, that that's some sort of monster commitment. I don't know. I mean, guys, guys bust positional players, non-quarterbacks bust all the time at the end of the first round, beginning of the second round. Get him in there. See what he can do. Tannehill has got the seventh worst um, efficiency by my adjusted efficiency metric going into the week. And then he had another negative performance here. Um, I don't really see an avenue to trading him anywhere. Just like I don't see an avenue to trading cousins anywhere, but this is the final year, the final non void year of his contract. So I think you keep him there to bring him back. Potentially if Levis falls on his face or if he gets injured again, so you keep him around, you, you pay him the money that you already made the contract. You kind of already made your bed. You got to, you got to lie in it now. And, but you definitely give Levis a chance now, figure out what you have. So then you can decide if you want to move on to some, even someone else next year. Cause I don't think Willis is it. All right, let's go ahead and get to Atlanta versus Washington. You know, this is weird. Just lots of games this week where the actual and the adjusted scores are flipped. I think it's just because a lot of games are ugly, basically. So then turnovers and third down advantages had huge effects on games that the success rates were kind of just generally meh. And that's what we had in this game. So the commanders, you know, they won the game by eight points, but they had a lower success rate. They really just took advantage of third and fourth downs and turnovers, in this one, those are the big thing. The Falcons couldn't run the ball also, which was very damaging. Uh, 18% success rate on their design runs. 8% for B. John Robinson. Not good for B. John Robinson in that one. They were losing about a quarter point of EPA per rushing attempt. Uh, what's weird is the passing game actually wasn't that bad. I think there's an impression, probably if you watch Red Zone like me, where every time they cut to the Falcons, it seemed like Desmond Ritter was throwing an interception and then they would... <laughs> And then they would cut to Arthur Smith on the sideline with this pained look on his face. So maybe he had enough pained looks in this one to make a move at quarterback. But, you know, overall, the offense, the passing offense wasn't that bad. It was only slightly negative by EPA, about equal to what the commanders had done with this one and a much higher success rate. It's just they had these mistakes. Um, if you look at the interceptions, 5.9 expected points lost to targeting Van Jefferson, another 4.9 targeting Drake London. And that was from the seven yard line. That was right in there in the end zone that we, I think we all saw on red zone at least. And then another one from the Washington 34 yard line, third and one, um, an interception targeting Bijan Robinson. There was another fourth down play where Ritter tried to get the ball to Bijan that, was three EPA lost on a fourth and three. And I don't know, this is the Washington 48 where Ritter is like, you just knew almost immediately when you saw Bijan out, I think he was in the slot or he was out wide, like in a bunch sort of formation. You knew that the, the, the wide receiver was going to clear out and Bijan was going to, was going to cut out and they were going to try to hit him there. Like you knew it. 
I knew it. The defender knew it. And the defender, they were either they were playing, I'm not sure if they were playing zone, but whoever was the outside corner on that one was just ready to jump it. He was looking, he was ready to jump it and knock it down for an easy um, incompletion. There were guys open on the other side of the field, but Ritter was just, you know, locked in on that one. And it did not seem like Arthur Smith was very pleased with that effort also. But like I said, outside of that, he actually had some some plays. They actually did make some plays down the field, um, which ended up being that Ritter had basically flat EPA on 54 plays. So he had to throw the ball a lot, drop back a lot in this one. Um, just massive, massive, massive negatives, which offset the positives in the passing game and then also a little bit of juice that he had scrambling the ball. Uh, Howell, interesting week for him in this one. Um, he had to have taken a sack. Let me see. Cause he's, he's our sack master, of course. Um, le, sorry about this. A little bit of a delay here. I, no turnovers though. So that was, that was good. That was good for him. Cause that's not something that, that happens typically for him. Um, so no inter- interceptions, three touchdowns, which is going to look pretty good, but five sacks, Jesus Lord, <laughs> five sacks for 30 yards. So, like it was 6.6 yards per attempt, only 151 yards on 23 attempts. Okay, you net out the 30 yards, you add in an additional five dropbacks there. We're up to 120, 28, um, 121 yards on 28 dropbacks. So let's do some quick math there. Uh, it's 4.3 yards, not good at all. So a bad game for how, but I think the impression will be much, much different on this one just because Ritter with the mistakes and the failure on fourth down is just really going to look bad, especially for those of us who watched on red zone uh, like me. All right, Cleveland, San Francisco, another one where the score flips, but it's pretty close. I mean, the adjusted score is basically what the score would have been if they would have hit the field goal there at the end. Um, but the overall results for the Niners are pretty bad. Because they were 9.5 point favorites going into this game. Nine and a half point favorites. Pretty good. Uh, They lost on the last second field goal. Missed very makeable field goal. I think it was from 41 yards out. Weather conditions weren't ideal. Yeah, Shanahan could have tried to pick up a few more yards. I don't care about it that much at the end of the game. Plus, Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey were knocked out of the game. I'm not sure which one is worse. I know McCaffrey attempted to come back multiple times and then was forced out. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Um, At the very least, I think the 49ers have to throttle down McCaffrey's usage. He was on pace for more than 400 touches going into this game. And that's just too many. I'm sorry. That's too many, too many, too many, too many touches here. There's a weird back and forth here where the Browns offense was also really, really bad turnovers were a big problem for pj walker i've seen this thing in the where they're like pj walker wins i mean pj walker was kind of just like there (laughs) he was there at quarterback did he win i don't know even when he didn't turn the ball over he had 1.4 passing epa on pass a non-interception pass attempt so he barely derived any value even when he wasn't being intercepted then he had a 15.4 epa lost to interceptions and sacks, including some awful ones. Um, I mean, second down and four, it's kind of a weird down and distance from the, um, from the 43 yard line, 7.4 EPA lost on that interception, another 5.1 on another interception. So not good, not good at all. They did have some big plays, but it was mostly, it seemed like to me, uh, Amari Cooper doing his thing on the 58 yard gain that they had there. 
than PJ Walker doing anything special. Uh, did convert a fourth and four. So that was huge. That was pretty big and a good play by, by Walker there, which had a big effect on, um, on the score result here. Amari uh, Cooper also had another 26 yard catch. So I think he was kind of more the MVP of this one than giving any credit. I mean, MVP offensively, obviously the defense is really the MVP for the Browns keeping the 49ers to a 35% success rate, uh, 20th percentile overall offensive efficiency, just shutting them down on third and fourth down. And this was just the worst game of Purdy's career so far, by far. Uh, I'm not counting the Eagles playoff game that he got knocked out of. And it happens. I don't think it's like a, a referendum on who Purdy is. And it's like, oh, if he doesn't have his weapons and he's on the road and he's placing a good defense, he can't be good. Well, you know, it happens to everybody sometimes that they don't play well. And even at, you know, negative 0.22 EPA per play, it isn't god-awful. I mean, it's bad. Negative uh, 14% CPOE, that's pretty bad. Couldn't complete any passes there. Um, but he didn't have a ton of mistakes. He just couldn't generate anything in the down-by-down -down basis. I mean, negative EPA, even if you take out the interception pass attempt. So that's not not good. Uh, prior to this, though, so he lost eight expected points in this game overall. Prior to this, Purdy had never only had one other game with negative expected points lost, one other game with expected points lost, and that was only .3 in Week 7 last year against the Chiefs. So this is like by far, 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 far and away Purdy's worst game. Obviously, first regular season loss also with Purdy as a starter. Now, if Deshaun Watson can't come back, and I guess the word is he will come back next week, I don't know. I mean, I know P.J. Walker won this game, and they're not going to move away from him. And I know uh, Doriel Thompson-Robinson looked, DTR looked awful, awful, awful last week, but he looked okay in the preseason, and I don't know. Like, P.J. Walker's not giving you much anyway, even though he got this victory. I mean, he was he was negative .36 EPA per play. Ugh, just bad. Really, really, really bad in this one. I mean, tough matchup, but tough weather, but still really, really, really Really, really bad. Okay. Uh, Cincinnati-Seattle, like a slog of a game here. I mean, teams were better from a success rate standpoint than the final score of 17-13 to the Bengals. I had it being basically a flat game between the two teams. The Bengals are just passing a ton, but not throwing the ball down the field. 22.4% over expectation, their pass rate in this game. Uh, they continue to lean into that, and... I mean, I guess if they can't run the ball and they had a 55% success rate passing the ball, it's okay. But, you know, they're just so low upside sometimes in this passing game that when you have a interception, then it's tough to have much value, have a ton of value in this particular game. If you, if you have an interception, if you take some sacks like Burrow does, then, you know, it's not going great. Now the, the, the Seahawks were down most of the time. So Geno Smith had 52 plays that he was involved in here, dropbacks that he was involved in. So he had a lot there. Um, Geno, do we got to start talking about Geno? I mean, it's not a greatest game on the road against the Bengals, but, you know, I'm a bit of a Geno skeptic versus some others. And I don't think he gets a pass, but he throws like a few really good balls every game. And people get excited about that. But then he takes bad sacks. He took a sack on fourth and six here. He makes mistakes. He threw a couple of interceptions, which were the most impactful play of the games. Um, his sack and his two interceptions were just like massive win probability losses. 
in this game when they were happening. The two interceptions happened on second down, so it wasn't like he needed to force anything there. And he had negative EPA in this game. But he has a great CPOE. He's like Mr. CPOE over results. And I think CPOE kind of aligns with perception and PFF grading and things like that a bit more than the like base truth, which is closer to the EPA per play on this one. Uh, I said he ranked 19th in EPA per play. That was at the time. Let me see. I just tweeted it out where he belongs on here. So Geno Smith is now, he's still 19th. 19th in EPA per play. This year, okay? But that's equal to Derek Carr, only very, very slightly better than Sam Howell. Uh, worse than Jordan Love, worse than Russell Wilson, worse than Jimmy Garoppolo, worse than Kirk Cousins, worse than, you know, a bunch of people, obviously, for that low in the standing. So, you know, I don't know. Is like Gino earned that much credit to say, like, oh, this guy's a top 10, top 12 passer, as I've seen him ranked in some places. I don't know. I, I don't know. He, he's got good weapons, too, right? I mean, maybe not the greatest blocking, but he's got decent, decent weapons there also. All right. Let's get to the next. How about the Bengals lodge a win, but bad game for Joe Burrow. So maybe it's, I thought maybe at 50 to one, he was a decent MVP bet. I mean, they're going to need wins. So we'll take, so we'll take the win there, but he's also going to need to start performing. But with, with, with Mahomes and Allen not being great, maybe he has a chance to sneak back into the conversation and um, Purdy, a really, really bad game Tua, like good game, but I don't know. I think we're more and more leaning towards not giving to a too much credit here. So yeah, well, we'll see how it all plays out there. Um, Texans saints 2013 Texans, my adjusted score. This is a big flip goes over to 27, 22 saints. So again, a lot of games this week. That's the case where it flips in the adjusted score. Saints had a higher success rate, but they just lost incremental points in a lot of different areas, especially 8.4 points advantage in special teams and penalties for the Texans. That's a big one. Uh, they also had a slight turnover advantage, a slight fourth down conversion EPA advantage. So you add all that up. It was a big deal. Uh, the Saints lost 5.6 expected points on two fourth down tries. So if they make one of those fourth down tries, you know, you flipping some coins here, you make one of them, maybe not the one to, to end the game, but they had a fourth and four to uh, Alvin Kamara, past Alvin Kamara, that they did not convert. They only got two yards on that one. That was huge. 15% win probability on that one play alone that they went down. Uh, Texans were like, okay, in this one. And they were even they even benefited from luck that doesn't show up in my numbers in the fact that CJ Stroud threw his first interception and it was promptly fumbled on the return back to the Texans. So that looked like a, I think it was like a slightly positive play because they start over first and 10 with the ball. Um, whereas obviously it was a negative play and kind of an unlucky thing to happen to fumble the return. I mean, you make your own luck, but I'm going to call that slightly unlucky there. And Stroud was like, okay, in this game, he's already, he's moved up. I think he's close to the top 10 now in efficiency, if not in the top 10 so far this year, but his CPOE was Negative 10%. Again, he had this interception that didn't really hurt his numbers, but should have hurt his numbers. So I think this was like a meh sort of game for Stroud. Not the greatest game. He continues to look like the best rookie, though, for sure, so far. Um, just the win and his numbers are misrepresenting, in my opinion, a bit, like how well he actually played in this in this game. 
Whereas I thought Derek Carr had a pretty good game, just could not convert those those fourth downs. That massively crushed his numbers there. Um, they had the ball a lot more. They averaged more yards per play, all that sort of stuff, but c- couldn't get the win. So uh, I still like the Saints as the best team pretty clearly in the NFC South, but this would have been a nice win for them to, to rack up here. Houston, creeping. Creeping in the, the AFC South, though. Let's see, where are we at now? Uh, three and three tied with the Colts. The Jags are four and two. So yeah, they have a better point differential though than the Jags so far though. So that'll be interesting. I, I think they'll trail off before the end of the year, but we'll end up seeing on that one. Okay. Uh, let me make sure I'm not missing any of the questions here from, um, no, I think the questions are related to games. I haven't covered yet. Okay. Bears versus Vikings. Eh, this is one where, I don't know, you might have to toss the adjusted scores out the window because it actually says the Bears were the better team by three points. But a lot of that's based on just incredible turnover value lost. And maybe when you have to unexpectedly start, I mean, play your UDFA quarterback, that happens. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) that happens. I mean, but then again, you know, Justin Fields kind of stunk before that happened anyway. So, they had a better success rate than the Vikings, but big, big, big turnovers in this one, uh, which drove down their passing percentile down to less than the first percentile. They did run the ball pretty well, though, so they did have that going for them. Um, if you look at just two plays, so for the for the backup when Tyson Badgett, Badgett, I, I didn't even listen to it, so I'm not sure how his name is pronounced, but I know he he played pretty well during the preseason. So I don't know if you can really like do a, a, a cum, accumulate win probability loss or combine it because like it could be hundreds of percents of win probability loss theoretically on multiple plays because of how it goes back and forth. But anyway, his two plays were pretty bad. So he comes in, I think it was his first play. They're down by six points in the third quarter, first and 10, um, seven minutes to go sack scramble sack fumble return for a touchdown um 10 points 10 expected points lost about 25 percent win probability down the drain then you know they they do a little something on offense both teams score a touchdown it's 19 13 first and 10 two minutes left in the fourth quarter pick 25 percent win probability down the drain there five expected points lost So not good. Now fields also had an interception in this game. Cousins did have a fumble. So that's something that that plays off against it a bit. Um, And the bears also failed on another fourth down, a fourth down try in the middle of the third quarter, which is a fourth and three. So a makeable sort of fourth down that they didn't end up accomplishing there. Uh, Let me look at the numbers. Just bad across the board. Like Kirk cousins was kind of bad. Fields was really bad. And then uh, Tyson badge, at least by the numbers was awful. Though he was the best when it comes to like, if if you if you ignore the negatives, which were incredibly huge, um, I mean, fifteen EPA lost on sacks, fumbles, and interceptions, and only eighteen dropbacks. If you ignore that, he actually was the best when the ball left his hands as being able to actually do something. So he he had he had that going for him. Fields a really ugly game here because he couldn't even really complete passes, um, and he had some turnovers and some other stuff going on. You know, Vikings probably don't need to be winning games here, but uh, what are you going to do? You're stuck. You're stuck with Cousins. You're not trading them. 
you're trying to accomplish something. And then off season, they're going to really have to figure out what they're going to do. Maybe even they bring them back. I don't know if they're not in position to draft someone because they've been a decent team this year. Just luck has really gone up against them uh, so far. It's pronounced like agent. So pageant. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, okay. Let's go to Jacksonville versus Indianapolis. Um, another game where it was a 17 point, like commanding win. the adjusted differential is a little bit thinner at five, at five points, mostly because of the turnover advantage, the Jags offense, like wasn't great, but they got, you know, 350-ish sort of field goals without a miss. They got a 53-yard kick return. And in their seven scoring drives, which, you know, let's give them credit. They have seven scoring drives. They only averaged 33 yards gained on those scoring drives. So they had 12 possessions when you don't even include the end-of-the-half possessions. So they had a lot of opportunity there. They didn't have to go very far on offense. They made all their field goals. They got a big kick return. Uh, all those things kind of swirl together to give them a 25 point adjusted score versus a 37 point actual score for the Jaguars. People probably have too strong of a good impression of the Jaguars offense coming out of this game because we see the scoring and we don't necessarily see as much what was leading up to it. Just something to keep in mind on this one. You know, they won the game. They won it, you know, fairly substantially, but not nearly as much as what the, the score may indicate. So we'll, we'll keep an eye out on that one. Um, also, you know, two of the biggest EPA gains when it came to the Jags, the touchdown to Christian Kirk, and then, um, the other, the other positive play, as far as a three point EPA game, a, a touchdown to the tight end strange, those were a combined 1.6 win probability gains because they were up by so much so early in this one. I mean, whatever, it happened. We'll give them credit for it, but they weren't the most impactful plays of the game there, too. Uh, Minshew was kind of bad, negative 0.2 EPA per play, so not good for him. Uh, just huge, huge, huge mistakes. 22 expected points lost to interception sacks and fumbles. Not good. Uh, and then, you know, the, 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 um, the Jags protected the ball okay, other than an interception, really, uh, for Lawrence when he was targeting Christian Kirk. Uh, let me see. I think they did take some sacks, though. So that was something that held them down on some of these plays and held down also Lawrence's EPA. Yeah, three sacks for 33 yards. So it's pretty substantial there. So Lawrence kind of had like an average-ish game by the numbers, but I don't think that's what's going to come out. I think people are going to have a much better impression. They're going to see the 37 points scored and not realize how many possessions they had and how favorable a field position they had on those on those possessions. So, Lawrence, again, not going to look good by EPA. He'll probably be a top-five guy in PFF grading, per usual. Uh, the last of the early window games, Dolphins-Panthers. Strange game. 14-0 Panthers. They're all high-fiving. They're feeling good. They're on the road. They're 13.5-point underdogs going into this. Uh, I kind of like them as 13 and a half point underdogs didn't cover because they lose by three touchdowns here. And then the avalanche just starts. <laughs> so the Panthers got a pick six. Uh, they pick six Mike, Mike white in the second half. So they got another touchdown to bring it up to 21 points. But other than that, it was 42. It was basically 42, nothing offensive scoring 
in one direction after the 14-0 start for the Panthers. That really explains everything. Third and fourth downs were huge. I mean, the Panthers just could not convert on third and fourth down. Uh, there is a 16-point advantage for the Dolphins, who also made a lot of big plays on third down. Um, yeah, that's like despite the fact that the, God, the Dolphins had a 16-point differential on third and fourth down. And that includes losing nine expected points on a third and 10 with that pick six. Um, so what else did they do on third down? Well, on third and six, they got a 41-yard touchdown to Tyreek Hill. On third and nine from the nine-yard line, they got a rushing touchdown. I'm not sure how you even give up a rushing touchdown in that situation, but they did. Um, and then Bryce Young failed to convert a fourth and 10, failed to convert a fourth and two. So that's, you know, those have major negative impact on these different plays and these different games for this game, bringing down Bryce Young. I didn't think Bryce Young looked that bad, although he's going to you know, still be in the bottom five for quarterback efficiency. He lost a quarter of a point per play in this one. And, you know, it's not just mistakes. He's just not able to derive that much outside of that. But maybe there'll be some primacy sort of bias where we saw him look good when he when they were on red zone early in the game. So people will have a somewhat positive impression of him coming out of this, but not great. Uh, Tua, massive efficiency. He's right up there now with Brock Purdy. But only 33 plays. He got subbed out. Didn't have to do a whole lot. Obviously, he has Tyreek Hill and everyone else there. But zero mistakes. So that's that's also good for juicing your efficiency when you have no interceptions, no sacks taken in the game. All right, let's get to the late window of four games here. Um, we'll start with Raiders-Patriots, maybe the game people cared about the least. Another flip score by the adjusted scores. Raiders four-point win, but they look four points worse according to the adjusted score. Uh, amazingly, the Patriots did not have a turnover disadvantage, which they normally have, but they did have a third and fourth down disadvantage. They were much more successful on a play-by-play -play basis, but uh, not good. Not good when it came to um, what they were able to do on late downs. A little bit of special teams advantage for the Raiders, but not much. So if you look at the Patriots and Mac Jones, they did have the most impactful play of the game, being a bad interception, 5.2 expected points lost, 15% win probability loss. But Garoppolo also had an interception the other way. Garoppolo, like his Achilles heel has been the picks. He's normally bad at picks, but he's been really, really bad this year. Uh, I didn't watch this one, but the commentary on it was that it wasn't like necessarily all his fault, but it's a big one. It was a five expected points lost on this one and it continues to hold down his efficiency so far this year he left the game garoppolo with a back injury had to go to the hospital for some sort of precautionary measure so you know his injury woes are continuing this year but hoyer came in uh, made some big plays made no mistakes and kind of led them to victory in this one now garoppolo Zero sacks for him, too. So zero sacks taken by the Raiders, which Patriots defense. She, come on, let's do something here. Um, and the Raiders couldn't run the ball at all either. So it was a weird one. If you look at Garoppolo on the season, if you take out his interceptions, right, which are massive, but he's had some bad luck with those interceptions so far this year. He actually ranks third in his efficiency behind Brock Purdy and Tua. Hey. I know people don't like any of these quarterbacks as far as being great quarterbacks, but hey, when the ball leaves their hands and it's not being picked, they're doing pretty well this year. 
Jones, you know, he might not be the worst problem for the Patriots, but now they're one in five and he's probably the easiest thing for them to do is to replace him and bring in someone else, even though I don't have a lot of faith in anyone else that they have here to potentially bring in. I guess now like Bailey Zappi is out as far as being the backup and Malik Cunningham may be in. He did. It looks like he did have a drop back in this one. He took a five yard sack. So I don't know. Are they going to turn to Cunningham? I, I don't know much about him, honestly, other than the fact that he's not Bailey Zappi. So he played for Louisville. He's 25 years old. So he's an old dude. Um, I don't know. Couldn't hurt, I guess. Even if it's not really, it's not really raising your chances of winning, but you need like a Hail Mary sort of upside situation here for the Patriots to have any chance to do anything this season. I don't think they're like tanking this season, even though everyone will say tank for every team that's doing this poorly. I don't think Belichick's in the tanking business. So maybe they bring in Cunningham, see what happens. If he's, if he's, maybe they got something and you can keep him out there. Or if they don't have anything, then he'll help you in your, in your, uh, efforts to get a top pick. Okay. Rams Cardinals kind of boring game here. 17 point win for the Rams 26 to nine, nine point differential. So I say the Cardinals were a little bit better than a nine point team in this one. They turnovers were a problem for the Cardinals. Josh De- uh, jobs is kind of falling apart. You know, the, the glass slipper is off or whatever the Cinderella analogy is here. The pumpkin the carriage has become back into a pumpkin or whatever uh, for, for Dobbs. I mean, he's always been like a serviceable quarterback, but I don't think we should have expected him to continue to play at the level that he was playing the first few weeks. Um, Kyron Williams, kind of the story of this game for the Rams. 158 yards rushing. The Rams had 177 yards on 27 carries for their running backs in this one. Uh, it was weird. The Rams were actually down at halftime, six to nine. I didn't watch this game in great detail because I was writing up the early games while this was going on. But uh, obviously, they they put it on them along with interceptions in the second half. So Dobbs had two critically bad plays: a fumble loss for five point five EPA, and then an interception at five point nine. Boom! That just crushes you. Failed failed to convert a fourth and five. Also on the Rams side of the field, that hurts. Uh, so that brought Dobbs down to negative 0.3 EPA per play, negative 10% CPOE. So just a bad, bad game for Dobbs, but not totally unexpected. Uh, Stafford was okay. Stafford continues to play like top 10-ish sort of quarterback, and that'll be enough to get it done in these sorts of matchups. And But they're going to have to put a little bit more together if they want to seriously compete for anything going forward. And if you look at the... Standings right now, where do we got the Rams? The Rams are three and three. So half a game behind the Seahawks at three and two, obviously still behind the 49ers, but solidly in that kind of wild card mix. I'm interested to see if they can get there. Uh, 21 point positive, 21 point point differential. So they look a lot better than the Falcons, who are also three and three. Uh, the Commanders are also three and three. They look a lot better than those teams. So if I were going to look at like who deserves wild card spots here, I would put them in the in the category as a team deserving a wild card spot. I might even put them behind. Okay, so if, let's say if the Cowboys were a wild card team behind the Eagles, I'd probably put them next. So like they should be that's kind of like second wild card sort of team by how good they are 
And I'm saying they're better than the Falcons and better than the Bucks, even the Bucks who are three and two. And then assuming the Saints win that division, I, I would like to see no one else make the playoffs from that division. And then the wild cards, I think by by team strength should be the Cowboys, the Seahawks, and I mean there's Cowboys, the Rams, and the Seahawks are left on that one. Maybe the Vikings, if they can come through and do well. They're they're playing well this year, probably better than the Seahawks in some ways. Uh okay. Jets Philly. Marquee, marquee game so far. Uh, but again, it's a flip score. We got a bunch of flip scores in here, which happens when these defenses play well, um, but their offenses stink it up. So they win by six. They were, it was a four point differential by the adjusted score. Massive turnover advantage. Bad game from, from mistake wise for Jalen Hurts. I mean, his interception targeting Dallas Goddard with two minutes left in the fourth quarter lost 51% win probability. 5.4 expected points. Another interception targeting Devontae Smith in the fourth quarter with almost the entire fourth quarter left to go. But on first and 10, that's when it becomes a problem. 22% win probability loss there. Five points lost. Um, Swift now. First and 10 fumble. Remember, these first and 10 fumblers are absolutely killer. 4.7 um, EPA lost. And then another interception. <laughs> I, yeah, I wasn't watching this in great detail. At least it was third and eight. But still, another interception for Jalen Hurts. So those three INTs and that fumble, man, the fact that this game was even close kind of shows you fundamentally like how crappy the Jets' offense is, even though Zach Wilson's going to be like, oh, Zach Wilson won another game, and he was good against Kansas City. No, he stinks, okay? Uh, at least he didn't turn the ball over, I guess. So that's what we have going for him. But he took five sacks. So he still got negative 7.4 EPA on those five sacks. It's not like he wasn't doing negative stuff. Uh, he didn't generate any pass, any pass EPA when he wasn't sacked. So, like, this is like the ceiling <laughs> for Zach Wilson. It gets a good defense is to be uh, negative 0.17 EPA per play. Not good. Um, Hurts, you know, he continues to offset, like, the negatives. Like, it was one of his worst games as far as all these different negatives are concerned. But because he has... Like he's, they are generating value in the air. 10 expected points on passes that were not intercepted. And then also 6.3 expected points on scrambles and rushing attempts. You can, you have those two things. You could be really, really bad in other areas and still get by. They almost did it this week against a tough Jets defense, uh, but it didn't end up happening. I think fundamentally this Jets defense was kind of a worse performance than what the numbers say because so much of it was based on turnovers. Good performance by the Jets defense, but, you know, without cornerbacks they were missing and others, maybe not as great as people are going to to label it coming out of this. I think the Browns defense was better, basically, uh, in this one. Um, actually, so last game, is it the last game? It is the last game. Tampa Bay versus Detroit. So another Cinderella situation, the pumpkin carriage reversal deal here for the bucks um they hadn't been as good as their record so far this year they had been converting a ton more third downs than they should have which is always a fluky ish sort of thing that has a chance to reverse and it reversed in a huge way this game two of 12 on third down the lions go nine of 16 on third down including a bunch of big plays it was about a 20 point differential just on those third downs that we're talking about here and the Lions had a turnover advantage. 
And, you know, they were definitely more successful, 10% more successful on a play-by-play basis on this one. Uh, the Bucks were a little bit better than six points, but, you know, not not a whole lot better. All right, Jameson Williams got into the action, registering a big play. And I don't know, man, this offense for the Lions, good offensive line. Yeah, they, they you know, set on fire uh, first round, uh, early first round pick on a running back that they don't need. But whatever, for, it doesn't matter. <laughs> they had a bunch of first round picks before. They got Jared Goff for free, right, plus extra picks. Uh, plus less money than you probably have to pay Stafford. So they have that. Um, and they hit on some other guys. And they kind of already had that offensive line core in some ways. So you got Jameson Williams in there. If he can start to do something down the field, 45-yard touchdown here in this game. If he can do something down the field, and Jared Goff can can sling it. You know, he can throw down the field. If he can start to do something there, then you have him. You have Amon Ross St. Brown underneath. You have Sam Laporta at tight end. Uh, that's a pretty lethal one, two, three combination. I think when it comes to the lions passing offense and Jared Goff and a, who everyone thinks is some brilliant play caller and Ben Johnson, maybe he is, I don't know. Uh, you combine all that together, good offensive line defense is playing a bit better, man. This lions team is frisky. Very, very, very frisky five and one. 55-point differential so far this this year. Beaten some good teams, too. Not like, hasn't been like total walkovers when it comes to the schedule. Barely lost to the Seahawks, right? Um, well, I mean, whatever. The Packers, Panthers, and Falcons isn't the greatest, but still, you know, and Bucks isn't the, isn't the greatest run there, but to go 4-0 is good. And then, of course, beating the Chiefs in week one. Extremely frisky. Extremely frisky here. For, for the Lions uh, this year. And, you know, golf was the pick. And I'll give props here to Matthew Friedman from Betting Life, the Fantasy Life uh, affiliate there when we talked MVP. And he liked Jared Goff as a dark horse MVP candidate. I said Joe Burrow because I didn't think Goff would ever get the respect. But I don't know, man. I mean, 0.4 EPA per play in this one. He is now in the top five in EPA per play this season. And I think he looks good, right? He looks good. He's making good throws. Everything is coming together on this offense. He's not being overused also. They're also running it a decent amount. I know David Montgomery is out. We'll see how that affects them. I don't know if it's a huge effect on them. Jameer Gibbs, we'll see how he's used. But I don't know if they even need him to be successful this season. Uh, He's avoiding mistakes, which he's been doing most of the year outside of a couple of interceptions. So, yeah, I don't know. They're 5-1, and one, tied for the best record in the NFL. So, like, if Brock Purdy is going to get MVP hype with now efficiency that's not that different from Jared Goff, and both teams are going to have a similar record, I don't know. Like, the Lions' defense is definitely worse than the 49ers' defense. Can you argue, argue the Lions' skill position players are better than the 49ers' skill position players? No. Um, offensive line. Eh. So we'll see. I mean, again, if Mahomes and Allen continue to stumble, they're getting wins though. So they're not stumbling that much, but they're not playing well. Uh, Tua, you know, he'll, he'll throw up a stinker every now and again. And then Purdy kind of falling off. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Jared Goff could sneak in there. I mean, wilder things have happened, I guess. It's definitely a huge step forward though, for his MVP campaign this week with Allen and Mahomes being bad and Purdy being awful as the the EPA leader 
right now. All right, let's get into some of these questions. If we have any Q&A, if you want to throw up any more on here, go ahead. I'll see if I missed anything in the specific games, and then we'll we'll get out of here since we've already gone over an hour. Uh, okay, well, I kind of addressed this a second ago. How far away are the Lions from being in the top tier of teams? What more would they need to show to get there? I mean, they're close. The thing is, I'm going to have to re... I'm going to... Like, there's going to be a pretty massive shift here when it comes to my priors going into the season, how much are in my numbers versus what we've seen this season. I think based upon what we've seen this season, the Lions are going to be pretty close to getting into that top tier. I still think the 49ers, Bills, and... Dolphins are going to be basically the top tier after this week. I know it seems weird with the Bills looking really bad in an island game, but, you know, it happens. Um, Detroit should probably be next. So they're getting close. They're getting close. Uh, I still think we need another week or two to see it. But close. I need a little bit more faith in the defense also, because, again, this hasn't been the most difficult defensive tests they, they they held down Patrick Mahomes, who's kind of been meh, you know, this year. They got throttled somewhat by the Seahawks. And then they held down the Falcons, Packers, Panthers, Bucks. But those are just all might be bad offenses. So I'm still waiting definitely to see something from the defense against a good, like, quarterback. Another game against a good quarterback to see what they can do. All right, Q&A here. If you're facing a four-point deficit in the fourth quarter, in what scenarios makes sense to kick a field goal, if any? Um, they make sense if the fourth down conversion rate is really, really, really low. So if you have to convert, I don't know what it would be. Of course, it depends on how much time is remaining, right? Like, A, if you have enough time to get the ball back, that boost your you know boost the chances more b if you even have to go as far as a as a onside kick that might be preferable if it's like a fourth and 25 or something like that depending upon who your quarterback and your passing offense is but that's probably going to be the biggest lever in this one time remaining obviously and then like four when you once you get to fourth down how far how far is the fourth down conversion? That's what people probably don't weigh enough in their calculus. They just see the score. They say, oh, team's got a score. We need a touchdown here. Three points isn't going to do anything for us. But if you have a fourth down that's hard enough to convert, then, you know, then it can flip. And maybe you even do want a field goal and try to stop the other team or try to um, go for the onside kick if the fourth down is long enough. Uh it's like Padgett. So Badgett looks pretty good aside from two terrible plays. Do you think this is lack of film on him or is he actually a better quarterback than Fields? I don't know. I think it's just lack of, well, he could be better than Fields. I don't think Fields is good. So that's always possible, but he's a UDFA. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, I don't think lack of film really matters that much, honestly, at this point. I think it's more low sample size against the Vikings defense. That's eh. Uh, do we finally see Will Levis? Yeah, I think I went over this one. I think we do. I think it would be crazy if they didn't go to Levis because Tannehill's injured. I guess I didn't even, did I even mention the fact that Tannehill was injured in the in the thing? I probably did. But so he's probably injured. They're going into their bye. Plenty of time to ramp him up. Willis is just not it. I mean, he's had a couple of flashes, but man, he just looks lost going back when he goes back to pass. Uh, I'd be curious to see how the Bears center graded out. Neither one could snap the ball. Didn't watch the game in that much details. So, uh, oh, Bajent, not Bajent. Sorry, Agent, Bajent. 
whatever. I'll, I'll get it right someday. Uh, what do you think home field advantage is worth this year, team specific or general number for all teams? I mean, I do it. I think I may have mentioned this on the podcast at the end of the week. I do it somewhere between 0.8 and 1.2 or 1.4 in extreme circumstances, points per game, depending upon the team. It is dependent upon travel and field, but mm, not a ton. What's, what's hard to judge, and maybe if a team was actually doing a good enough job on this, that there might be like a specific away team disadvantage that should be calculated. You know, we, we spent a lot of time figuring out the home field advantage, but I do think certain teams are better as far as how they prepare and travel and all those sort of things. Uh, a big one being what we saw with this London game, right? With the Ravens getting out there early and being smart and getting out there early as opposed to what the Titans were doing. I think that's maybe, maybe that's an analytical place to look at for some teams is away team disadvantage team specific instead of just looking at um you know the metrics like how far you have to distance traveled and all that sort of stuff all right everyone thanks for tuning in i'll be back on friday uh the sunday night write-up is free so go ahead and check that out see what you're missing subscribe unexpectedpoints.substack.com i always appreciate everyone who has subscribed there we're moving up i think we're in the top 35 or something like that Substack sports Substacks right now Hopefully continue to move in that direction. I appreciate all the support from everyone out there. Uh, shoot me a note, respond to an email if you have any particular questions or concerns about anything or follow me on Twitter at Kevin Cole in the dreaded triple underscore after Kevin Cole there. Still haven't figured out what to put in there. Can't put NFL there. Um, otherwise, everyone, enjoy Monday Night Football and I'll be talking at you on Friday morning. Thanks so much.